Hey, I want to welcome you again to South Bay Church. Welcome to those watching online in our Sunnyvale campus as well. Uh, we are continuing our overloaded message series today. And if you missed any of the weeks of this series, you might want to uh, go to the website and listen to it again or watch it again to catch up. But the first week, we began by talking about how to live with peace by decreasing our load. And then last week, Pastor Annie talked about how to uh, increase our capacity and create more margin in our lives by uh, pursuing wisdom. And then this week, we're going to talk about living by priorities. I hope that you take some notes. Uh, there's an outline in your program that will allow you to follow along with today's message. And I want to start by looking at the first key principle together, which is this. We will either live from our pressures or from our priorities. You can jot this down. We will either live from our pressures or from our priorities. I'd like us to repeat this together in just a second because we're going to be referring back to this over and over again throughout our talk today. So can you say it with me? One, two, three. We will either live from our pressures or from our priorities. You know, when our lives get overloaded, this is what typically happens. We we tend to give in to the things that are most pressuring us and our priorities, the things that we've said are most uh, important to us, end up going to kind of the bottom of the list of what gets our time, our energy, and our resources. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And we've all experienced this to a certain degree where our pressures are so big that things that are important to us start getting dropped and broken and, you know, falling apart. But if you think with me this, you know, you might say, that your friends are your priority. But then you, your job is requiring so much of you that you end up not prioritizing your friends and your pressures get the, the best of you and your friends start saying things like, where have you been? Where are you? Are you still our buddy? And you don't hang out anymore. You don't do anything with them anymore. And your relationships in life kind of dissolve because of your career pressure. You might say that your kids are your priority, but then you're so busy with so much that your, your kids begin to resent you because you haven't given them any time and they think that other things are your priority, not them. You might say that your marriage is priority, but then maybe you have kids and the pressure of raising kids uh, consumes you so much that your marriage ends up falling apart for the sake of the pressure that your kids require of you. Or you might say that God's your priority. For those of us that, that have decided to follow Jesus and say, God, I want you to be first. But then the pressures of life and the tension at work and all of the things that come our way end up getting all of our energy, our time, our resources, and God becomes a side note in our lives. See, we will either live from our priorities or from our pressures. And there is an event that happened in the life of Jesus that talks about this very specific issue. And it was recorded by Luke, who was an intellectual doctor, who after investigating as much as he could about the life of Jesus, he, he wrote a careful account of his life with many details. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed also in your program, and it'll be on the screen. So let's, let's read this. Luke 10, verse 38. It goes like this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? 
Tell her to come to me, or tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you are so worried and upset over all these details, but there is one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. You see, to give you a glimpse of what's happening here, if you look at this first verse, first of all, it says that Jesus was with his disciples. So it's not just Jesus coming into this home. When she decided to host Jesus, it's Jesus and the disciples. So there's a lot of tension there, right? She has to prepare the meal. She has to kind of make sure everything's fine in what's happening there. But then there's an added pressure that if you know the story or the, the circumstances around the event, you would understand there's a lot of pressure she's feeling because Jesus at this moment is being pursued by Jesus who want, or by people who want to kill him. So there are all these people that are furious about Jesus. They don't like what he's been doing. They don't like the movement of people that started to follow him instead of following their own stuff that they were doing. So there were religious people. There were you know, government officials, whatever else, who were looking for Jesus in order to kill him and his disciples. So when Martha decides to host them, it's a big decision for her. And it's an uncomfortable decision. And I'm not sure if you've been around in a situation where there is, you know, uneasiness or you've been, you felt like you're just not safe or somebody might just break in at any point and get you or get the people that are there with you. But as I was reading the story, I was remembering something that happened to me when I was a little boy. I was eight years old and I grew up in Brazil and in, in Brazil we had a, we lived in the city in Sao Paulo, which is a huge city, but we had a, a house in the countryside, kind of the mountain, by the mountains and the lake and so forth. It's a little house that we'd go out to on weekends to get away from the city life. Well, this particular weekend, my dad was traveling out of town for work, and my mom took myself and, and my brother and my sister to this house. And so we're there. When we, when we arrived, though, the neighbors begin to tell us that there are some people that have been breaking into the homes of our subdivision there. And so my mom gets a little scared and paranoid, and, and we're all kind of like on the edge that day, and like, are they going to come while we're sleeping, or they, you know, whatever else. So we decided to all sleep in one room that night, because daddy's not home, you know, it's all three kids, just mom, and, and the room was like this, there was a you know, medium-sized room, there's a bunk bed on one side, my brother at the top, I was at the bottom, uh, a window on this side, my mom slept in the middle, uh, in a mattress on the floor, and then my sister was in another bed in front there. And in the middle of the night, my mom hears a noise. And if you're a mom, you totally understand what I'm talking about here, that like if you don't feel safe, you, you're like instantly up, and you've got that motherly thing going on. And so she, my mom stands up, and, and she's a little disoriented. She just heard some noise, and she goes out to what she believes is the window, and she grabs the, the wood at the bottom of the window, and she puts her hands through, and she realizes the window is open. So she's going like this, and then, you know, the motherly thing just took over her, and she's like, oh my goodness, somebody's trying to break into our house while my kids are sleeping. So she assumes somebody's trying to climb up, and she puts her hand on one of the thieves' arms, which happened to be my brother's legs, and started to beat the junk out of his leg. So she's there, like, screaming, get away, get away, punching my brother's leg. So we all wake up and we are crying and the lights go on and my brother's got blood everywhere. Just kidding. There wasn't blood. Uh, it felt like it. 
Uh, but I, I'm crying, like, what's happening? My mom feeding up my brother in the middle of the night. And, and she's crying. She's like, I'm sorry. She's holding him. And my sister's crying. And we don't know what to do. And the window is shut open or shut, closed right there. And, and she just thought that that was the window, the bunk bed. And my brother was the recipient of her um, strength that night and her motherly instincts. And it was quite strong. He literally was fully bruised on his, all over his leg. And has, we have a great story to tell now because of that. But you see, when you don't feel safe, it's pressure. And, and that's what Martha is feeling at this moment. There's people looking for the guy that she is hosting right there. But listen to what happened right in the midst of the pressure and her being all busy. It says in verse 39 that her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now, in that culture, sitting at someone's feet was not just a matter of you, you know, resting or whatever else. It was a sign of submission. It's you saying that I am willing to submit to you as my teacher. I am going to be your disciple or your follower. Um, and you're willing to, to do what the, like you, the, the teacher is your model. So it's really a sign of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm willing to do what you say. I am, I'm wanting to be your follower. And she's there sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word that he's teaching while her sister Martha is doing all of the work. In verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all of the work? Tell her to come and help me. So if you can picture Martha, she's there behind the counter cooking. There's a lot of people in her home, and she's going, growing to, you know, just becoming angry and resentful. And she sees Mary sitting there, like, why aren't they helping me? And maybe you felt like this before, like you're doing all the work in your workplace. And you're like, why, why am I the one staying up late? Why am I the one working extra hours? Where, where, why aren't people recognizing what I'm doing? Why isn't my boss telling, you know, the other workers to do what I'm doing and to help me out? There's so much pressure that she's feeling and when we're under stress like this or think we're overloaded we're already uptight you know and I'm I'm like that and even this month for me was really really busy as we work to launch the Sunnyvale campus and there's a lot of new initiatives at South Bay and I, I felt myself becoming more impatient and a little bit more on the edge with my my wife and my kids and you know not as compassionate and just get easily angered and and if you've, if you've been there, or maybe you are, and you're, you're thinking, I'm, I'm overloaded, and, and you start to react kind of differently to the circumstances around you. And that's what she's facing. She's annoyed. She's distracted. She, she thinks she doesn't understand why it's all on her shoulders. But see, the problem was not what she was doing. In fact, she was doing something good. It's not that she was doing something evil. The problem was in her priorities. And when Jesus looked at her and didn't really do what she asked him to do, he was teaching her a lesson. She was saying, you are doing good things, but you're leaving out one of the best things you could be doing. Let me illustrate this a little bit differently to you. Now, this week I went to a Brazilian steakhouse. And uh, if you have been to a Brazilian steakhouse, can you raise your hand with me, those of you online and Sunnyville campus as well? Just raise your hand with me. Hi, and look around. Those are the people that have experienced true life on this earth. Um, you can applaud them if you like. Um, just kidding. But let me apologize to those of you that are vegetarian, first of all, because of my comments to follow. Um, we Brazilians, we 
We're more like carnitarians. We just don't think we should eat anything that can't run for their lives. It's not fair. And so we do eat a lot of meat, but, you know, we treat animals right and so forth. I believe in that. So I'm not saying anything against vegetarians. Um, but I want you get to, to understand a little bit of the Brazilian steakhouse experience, if you haven't been there yet. When you go, this is what typically happens. You sit down at the table with your friends, and the waitress or waiter comes to your table, and they ask for your drinks. So then you can order, uh, I recommend the Guaraná, it's a Brazilian soda, or if you, you know, some people order Caipirinha, and you might not want to have too many of those because you won't be able to drive home. But uh, after your order, they explain to you the process of how, how the restaurant works. There's a buffet on the side that has all the side dishes and the uh, salads, and then they say you can go and all-you-can-eat buffet, and then you come back to your table, and they give you a sign. And this is on your table. This is the large version of it, but it's on your, on your table facing with red up, and it says no thank you on it. And then you can flip it to yes, please. When you, when you flip it to yes, please, all the waiters come out with these skewers of meat, and it's all you can eat meat, about 20 different cuts of meats. So they just keep bringing it to your plate as long as you got it on green. Does it sound like heaven to some of you already? That's what I thought. So then uh, some of you are about to throw up in the bathroom now for, I'm sorry, vegetarians again. But they just keep coming. And they just they bring, you know, chicken wrapped with bacon and sausage and filet mignon and T-bone and so forth. And so they just keep coming until you turn it on red and you tell them to stop and you want to breathe. Or, you know, some people go to the bathroom to make more room. Maybe I shouldn't have said that one. Um, but anyways, you get the point. And uh, just slipped there again. But anyway, so th- this is what happens, though. If you're an amateur, you typically will go to the buffet table. And I see this mistake quite often. I'm just giving you, a, you know, from a Brazilian, giving you some tips. You go to the buffet table and you fill up your plate with all kinds of stuff, right? And it's good stuff. Uh, and, you know, the rice and beans are phenomenal, the feijoada and the salads and so forth. But then you come and you eat that and then you realize that after you're done, like I have no more room for this beautiful meat coming my way. So you eat a piece of meat and you're done. Now, let me just give you a tip. If you want to learn to maximize your experience at the steakhouse, uh, this is what I did this week when I went. I went there, and I, you, I went to the buffet table with my plate, and I got a piece of lettuce, a slice of tomato, an olive, and a piece of cheese. I called it a salad. And then I went back to my table, and I ate a part, half of that, and then I turned it on green, and I said, come on, just come on and bring it. So then, sim por favor, or yes, please, they just keep bringing it to the table. And so you say yes initially to every type of meat, because you want to taste them all, right? The sausage, the chicken, the pork, the, the steak, and the filet mignon, whatever else, every cut of meat that they bring your way, you say yes. But then you start to feel a little bit overloaded, and you're like, mm, can only fit so much now. And so what you want to do is you can flip it on red if you like, or you can, you, you know, you, you start saying no to most of the meats that come your way. Filet mignon, no, no, no. But there is one meat that you don't say no to. Brazilians call it the picanha. This is like the prime cut, the Brazilian specialty. And, and it might look a little funny to Americans because you've never seen this cut before. But let me just tell you if, you, if you hear them say picanha, just turn it on green and you want to taste it. So this is what I do. I'll eat all the meats and then at the end I'm like, uh, all right, no, no to you, no to you, no to you, no to you. Yes, picanha, bring it on. And then you, that's all you say yes to. You prioritize the best meat. Now here's the deal. They're not bad meats they're trying to serve you, right? They're not bringing you like rat on a stick. So you're not saying like no to the rat. You're saying no to the filet mignon so that you can say yes to the picanha. And this is ultimately what Jesus is telling Martha. 
Look, you're doing good things. It's good thing that you're serving and you're, you know, trying to do whatever. But there is one thing that you're missing on. And your sister, she got it. And I'm not going to take it away from her. You see, the mistake was in the priorities. And this is a common mistake that we make. Most of our troubles and our feelings of being overloaded or overwhelmed don't come from us choosing evil over good or bad over good. You know, I'm going to steal instead of I'm gonna give or whatever else. Those are easy to decide on. They're easy to know that you're doing something destructive. But the second mistake is often equally as destructive, which is we choose the good over the best. And the principle here is this, that when overloaded, we must prioritize the best over the good. Much of what overwhelms us don't come from the evil over the good choice. It comes from the good over the best. Our priorities start becoming neglected because of our pressures, because we can either live from our pressures or we will live from our priorities. So now the question becomes, what is my priority? What should it be? What's the picanha of my life? What is it that we're going to say, this is going to get all of my attention, my focus, my number one priority? Now, to some of you, you might say that's God. To some, maybe spouse or friend or kids, work, health, whatever it may be. But if you don't decide on it, the pressures will decide for you. And there's a way of thinking that has really helped me in the process of knowing how much weight to put on priorities. And it's in this phrase I'm going to teach you. It says, some priorities we have to decide on while others we must discern on. Some priorities we have to decide on, others we have to discern on. Let me give you uh, a, way, a, a couple examples of this. So some things, God, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and we say, yeah, I'm submitting to the ways of God, and he's given us his scriptures. And some things he's already made very black and white in the scriptures, right? I don't ever wake up in the morning and say, God, will you help me discern whether or not I should love my wife today? Like, it doesn't happen that way, right? I already made a decision. It's a priority. I feel like the scriptures are clear. Submit to one another out of reverence for your God to put each other's needs above your own. And, and my wife is my priority. I don't get the luxury of discerning that priority. I have decided on it. Pressures can't take the place of that, right? There are several things like this. But here's the thing. If you don't decide early on, even when it comes to your marriage, then the pressures will take over and the pressures will win. And for those of you in the startup world, especially, you know, I, I remember when we started South Bay Church, it was very similar to starting a company. We had venture capitalists and we had people investing in us. We had all the pressure to get something off the ground and building a team from scratch, just a few of us families. And if it didn't work, we were going to be in big trouble. And, and there was a lot of pressure. But one thing that we were warned about by friends of ours in the business world that were in startups and churches is that a lot of them had lost their families in the process of starting their businesses. And so we made a decision very early on and said, we, we will be under pressure, no doubt about it. But here are some priorities that cannot be determined by our pressures. And our family was one of them. And so in the last five years, it's been very busy and, and a lot of pressure, especially in the beginning. 
But we continue to go on dates with our wives, to go on vacations with our families, to prioritize them around the table, uh, to if we had to work 60, 80 hours, we would make up for it on the other side, other end of that. And there are ways that you can keep your priorities straight even in the midst of pressures. Now, there are other areas that we weren't as good about, and we all kind of are good and, and bad at some of these, but the point is, if we don't determine or make a firm decision on black and white issues, then we will get in trouble. Now, there are some other things that typically happen as well, even for those that have kids, or if you're single, single and you're thinking about having kids someday, what happens, and I see this often, is a, a couple, they don't know where to put kids in the order of priority, right? So they, they design a child-centered home instead of a marriage-centered home. So the kids get all of the, tension, the, the, the time and the energy and the resources because of the pressure that comes with raising kids, and your marriage goes to the bottom, and then your marriage falls apart, and then everybody gets hurt as a result of it. And I, I have a strong conviction that the best families are marriage-centered homes, not child-centered homes. And when you read the scriptures, they seem to, to teach that, that we ought to prioritize one another because the best gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. Now, I know that we make mistakes, and there's, most of us have broken homes, and that's okay, and God gives us grace for every season and every situation we're in in life. But the point is this, that if we don't determine and decide on the black and white issues, then the pressures will take over those. Now, there are other issues that are gray. We don't quite know. You have to discern, is this the right time for this? Is it the right place for this? When should I do this? God didn't give you instruction for every detail of life. There are principles to help you discern those types of priorities. And so I wake up in the morning. I, you know, I don't pray about loving my wife, but I might, I might pray about, hey, what can I do today to help somebody? Or you know, should, I, should I blog today or should I wash the dishes? Should, should I go do some laundry? Should I go play with my kids? What is it that are thing, you know, some things you have to discern? And that's where that message that Pastor Andy taught last week comes in, where we have to pursue the wisdom that God has given us. And be extremely passionate about making the, you know, wisdom our primary pursuit so that we end up deciding the things that are consistent with the will of God. In fact, we're giving you a resource that we'll talk about at the end of our experience today called Right Now Media. It's printed in your program there as well. And this is a, a website that's almost like Netflix for Christian resources. And we're giving it to you for free as a church. We're paying all the fees. And everybody, every attendee of South Bay has access to this. You just have to make sure that we have your email. And it'll be a library of resources for your marriage, for your parenting, for uh, singles, for life groups, and whatever else, with thousands of uh, you know, online books and uh, uh, audio and videos to help you in your journey. So it's just another way for us to equip you to have the wisdom to make those decisions. Let's go back to our story and see what happens next. Verse 40, 41. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there is one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You're concerned about, about dinner. You're worried. You have all these little details you're trying to take care of. You're serving everybody. But you see, you're missing out on the one thing. Your boss is demanding. You know, I have a demanding boss at South Bay as well. Um, just kidding. A little bit kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, your, your, your coworkers are looking at you like, are you doing your job? Or, you know, 
And there's it, a lot going on, but Jesus says there's, there's one thing, though, you just cannot drop the ball on. Mary discovered it, and I'm sorry, but I, I will not honor your request. She is where she's supposed to be, and you're not. You see, the one thing, in my opinion, is that we ought to love God first. It's putting her, him as number one, priority, everything that he wants, his concerns, everything gets priority in our lives. He is first. God will not be second in our lives. He will not sec- settle for second place. And there is no way that he will fill our lives with everything there is that he offers until he's number one in our priority. The problem, though, that we all face is that we often prize religion more than that relationship. See, religion is about all that you can do. All that you can do to please others, to please God, to look good. That relationship with God is different. You might do it, but only out of the overflow of your love for him. It's different. We prioritize impressing over knowing. We care more about the things that people see than the God who sees us. And we can be busy, honestly, doing a lot of good things to the point where people, they look at us and they're like, man, look at that. Look at that girl. Look at that guy. They got it all together. What a great marriage. What a good worker. What a great person. But at the bottom or the depth of our heart, we're empty. Though others might think we're filled. If, you put our, if we put ourselves in the story, think about Martha for a second. And maybe you can picture yourself, where, where would you be in this home? Are you near Martha or are you near Mary? In Martha's mind, she's thinking, there are a lot of people here. I got to figure out how to get all of them to, you know, be good and to serve them. And I need to make sure that they like my food and I hope that I host them well. I hope they like my cooking. I hope that they, they think my house is clean enough. I hope my product is good. I hope my performance is good. I hope my presentation is good. I hope people see how good I am doing. I hope that they acknowledge my hard work and the many hours and, and, and the pressure that I have. I hope that people see all of the pressure that I'm facing. And then she's looking at her sister Mary, and this, this is what we do often. We start comparing. Why, why aren't they doing what we're doing? And I, I got it right. God, help me. God, is it, come on. Why aren't I being blessed for all this that I'm doing, but that person who doesn't seem to be doing what I'm doing is okay. Like, they're just sitting there. Why don't you correct them? And we begin this comparison game. But you see, in Mary's mind, I think it was different. Mary had made a decision. She decided that God was not going to be leftovers, that God was going to be first. And in her mind, she thought, I got to give Jesus my best. I hope that he knows how grateful I am for him. I hope that he sees how much I love him. I just, I just don't want to miss this moment. I know Martha is looking, giving me the evil eye right now, but I, I got to sit here at his feet. This I have decided, and the pressures cannot change that. And she knew. She, it was her home. She knew people would not like it, she knew that people would 
talk about her. She knew that even her best friend, her sister, would, would not enjoy seeing her sit there. But she also knew it was more important to live for an audience of one than to impress an audience of many. And we have to evaluate our lives. Do we live for that audience of one? Is God number one? And the, the phrase, the statement that Jesus made was so powerful, and I think it, it kept ringing in the hearts of those who listened. He said, there is one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. Everybody busy, everybody pressure, Mary has discovered it. Have you? I think we all have to come to a point where we really honestly ask this question. Is what I'm doing, is my pace, is my, my, are my priorities the type of priorities that bring health and life to my life and those around me, or are they destroying me? And that question is really the question that begins the transformation of a life. In fact, I remember the first time that I, I really made this decision to put God as number one. Like many of you, I, you know, I grew up around religion. I, I knew, uh, you know, I believed in God and but he was like a side note in my life. Um, had committed to, you know, be a Christian or whatever. And some of you are exploring. And, you know, everyone's kind of different in that. But I had some form of, of spirituality to my life. But I remember distinctly the moment where I realized, like, God, I am so empty inside. And I said, God, I want you to be number one. And I, 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 I laid my life before him. Scriptures call this surrender. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm done with myself. I want you to take over. I didn't have all the answers. I had a lot of questions. I didn't have it all together. I had a lot of parts of my life that were misaligned. But that act of deciding, the Mary decision, was the beginning of a life that was transformed. And I'm still being transformed because of that. And that day, I remember walking away thinking, this is the one thing I've been looking for. I had this overwhelming sense of peace inside of me, knowing that I, I don't, you know, most things in my life are out of order, but I got the one thing right for that moment. And that became my new addiction. That's why I'm here today, because I, I realize that so many of us miss out on the fullness of life that God has created us for, because we've we just have not tried putting him first. And I wanted to make my life about that. That's why we started this church. That's why we, we do this every single week because we believe it's worth it. But you see, it's not an easy decision. Some people don't understand. It requires us to pause, to look at the long term, not just the short term, to look at the eternal, not just the pressures we face. It, we have to understand that people will misunderstand us and then we have to know that we're gonna live for one, not for many. And when that happens, you start asking this question a little bit differently. What's going to get most of my energy? And think about it for this week for you. What has gotten most of your energy? Who and what has gotten most of your time? Where have your resources gone? If we take the, took a look at your, your checkbook and your, your you know, bank statements, where, where do you spend all of your money and your energy and so forth? Does it reflect your priorities 
or not. And I want you to picture with me your future, maybe in five, ten years. What would it look like if instead of neglecting, postponing, forgetting the things that matter most, you said, I'm going to put a firm decision here forward. I'm going to put God as number one in my life. And then I'm going to order my priorities according to what I believe is black and white in his word. And then I'm going to pursue wisdom to discern the other priorities of my life. See, I, as I read the scriptures, I'm constantly reminded of the truth that God said that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not have, you know, die and will not perish is what the scripture says or will We'll have to live away from his presence forever, but we'll have life, eternal life. Jesus said it's abundant life, life in its fullness. And that's the life that he offers us. And the Bible will teach us that when we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus lived this life for us, that he died on our behalf because of the penalty, the consequences of our wrongdoing was death. So he died for us so we can have life and death doesn't have to haunt us and Brokenness doesn't have to stick to us, and, and there can be hope for our future. That's the message that he brings, but it requires a decision. So what I'd like to ask you to do with me is just in, in both campuses, online even, if you, can, if you can just lower your head to avoid distractions for a second with me. We're not going to do anything weird or poke you on the side or anything like that, just so you can focus on what we're talking about. And ask yourself this question, have you made God your top priority? Have you got the one thing? Did you discover it? And are you willing now to say, I'm going to make this decision that Mary made to say, I, I need to put God as number one in my life. And if that's you, I want you to just demonstrate that by raising your hand, I want to pray for you in a second. But if you know you're in the room and as I've been talking, you know like that, I have, I have not had God as number one in my life, and I need to put him first in my life. Can you raise your hand high and just say, this is my decision today. I will put God as number one. No longer I'm going to neglect it. I, I sense that, that I need to do this now. I will not wait any longer. I won't wait for tomorrow or next week. I need to put God first. Is there anybody else that wants to say that? It's awesome. You know, I'm proud of you for that decision. And what I, what I want to do together, as you, you can look at me again, is if you can hold up your connection card with me. Um, there is a place in the back of this card that I want to use together today to indicate some of our next steps. And it's one thing for us to say, yeah, that was inspiring. It's another thing for us to put it down and write it down and say, I, I need to realign my life. And if those of you that, that may, if, the, if, if some of you made that decision today, uh, those of you uh, online, Sunnyvale, those of you here that made the decision, say, I, I'm, I need to place my faith in Jesus and make him number one. Check that box in the top of the back of the connection card that says, I'm committing to follow Jesus. But some other ones of you here, you're, you're in this place where you know some of your top priorities are not top priorities right now. And they, the pressures have taken over and things are misaligned. So write down on that comment section whatever it is that you should do at this point. My next step is I need, to, I need to have a chat with my wife. I need to have a, a, a conversation with my God and tell him he's first. I need to 
apologize to my kids. I need to, you know, tell my friends that I'm going to change my lifestyle. I need to make a decision to prioritize my health. Whatever it may be that you're sensing God lead you to do, write it down on that card. And what we're going to do here for a second is we're going to give you a time of silence to continue to write down your next steps and then to think to yourself and to pray even, to ask God, maybe you've never tried this before, but to, to really in your heart say, God, I, I want you to be first and I, I want your help with that. So let's pause together and then I'll wrap us up with prayer. Father, I'm thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your best, that you sent Jesus into the world to rescue us. Thank you for your grace, and I understand that as I've talked about this, uh, there are heavy hearts in the room because we've, we know we've dropped the ball, but I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would encourage us, would remind us of your promises, that you strengthen us for the the tasks that you give us. And as we realign our lives with you at the top, I pray that you would provide, that you would be the source, that you would fill us with joy, that you give us the peace that transcends human understanding and that ultimately our lives would be yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.